So, Mickey, you just uh, you were out on the lake yesterday. You, you were mentioning that you caught some caught some large fish. Uh, yes, we uh, uh, yesterday I took the full day off, uh, which was nice. Uh, with the family, we we're here in Lake Erie and got out on the water. It was seventy four degrees. Our was the air temperature, water temperature, seventy six degrees, which wow. for me is perfect. And uh, we we caught some great fish. My daughters caught the biggest fish they've ever caught in their lives, so that was super nice. And uh, we're getting ready to head west about three hours later today uh, to our next destination. And where is that next destination? Uh, we're staying in Pennsylvania. We're just uh, um, we're headed actually we're headed east um, three hours to Bald Eagle State Park. Okay. Okay. Bald Eagle State Park. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, we'll we'll get to do some kayaking and and a little bit of hiking uh, and maybe some fishing in there as well. Fantastic. Well, again, you know, I I have I, I bet your daughters have caught fish larger than any fish I've ever caught. So I, I might need to tap into them and uh, ask them for some some pro tips for some fishing that I'm hoping to do uh, later this month. So, um, you know, I might need to call sure. you and My, might need uh, to FaceTime and they, they might need to show me what to do. Yeah. My 12 year old can teach you how to jig uh, for some fish. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, folks, uh, with that, we welcome you to this week's episode of Fanatical Fridays. Each week, our job with Fanatical Fridays, our, our, our goal is to talk about the strategies, the trends, the tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. And today we want to talk about several things, actually, but we want to kickstart the conversation uh, talking about a recent article that uh, I think was just published earlier this week on, on Monday, I believe, uh, from Inside Higher Ed. And it was called a tough year for community colleges, basically just talking about sort of the state, the current state of enrollment um, at community colleges. So, Mickey, I was hoping you could just sort of talk about what was interesting to you about this article, maybe, you know, slightly recap it um, and share some of the takeaways that you think would be relevant to our listeners. Sure. Two two points I'll just uh, quickly point out from that article. A, um, if a community colleges is down five percent in enrollment year to date they can boast about how strong their uh, enrollment is this year yeah puts things in the context b um you know is going against the theory was going into this summer with everything happening the community colleges would be the schools um, that would be best suited to capture those folks who weren't going to go back or go online to a four-year institution and that they would do well. And that's not proving to be correct because so many are down. And you know, in the last few weeks, I've been sharing some of the things that I've been doing with a couple of our clients, two-year institutions, who, like many in this article, down significantly. You know, The article did reference some institutions still being down 25%, 30%. And that's dangerous yeah. um, for an institution. Certainly not healthy. Uh, and and I can tell, you know, one of the things for me that stands out is is that is universal, but it doesn't mean that's your universal fate um, to be that way. There are things that an institution can do to stop that loss from happening. And you know, you know, one of my clients 
four weeks ago down 47% year to date. Wow. I mean, that's, think how significant that is. Yeah. And today, um, when you compare the numbers today to last year's fall freeze, which means not just the opening of fall, but their second fall session, down 8%. Wow. Or 8.4%, right? So just because you know, this is not a great time or everybody's down doesn't mean you have to be down or down as much as you potentially are. And it just comes back to what you're willing to do, how hard you're willing to work to try to correct that. Uh, and, um, and, and you can see shifts and change. Does it mean you're going to be up 20%? Does not mean you're going to make your goal that you set eight months or 10 months or 12 months ago? But it does mean you don't have to settle for being down on average with everybody else. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting to me to, is uh, while community college enrollment operates uh, somewhat differently, fairly differently than sort of a traditional four-year institution, um, I guess what's what's a little surprising to me, or or maybe maybe this is maybe this is a good thing for folks to kind of keep in mind, is that you know. Mo- I, I think about a couple of people in, in my life that uh, went to community college and they didn't decide to enroll in classes until like literally the day before a session started. And so, you know, in a world, in a COVID reality, right, uh, it would seem to me that there's a fair number of people that are, again, very likely to ultimately still enroll at a community college, but are literally going to wait until the last possible second, because they can, to make that sort of decision. Does, does that sort of align with what you're talking to your clients about, slash what's true across uh, across the space, or, or not so much? No. Uh, well, so that's standard operating procedure for community colleges. Is anyone that works there is just nodding their head, yes. But, you know, we're, we're, this is the third week of August. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? So, so at this point, that should have already occurred, that, that, that jump, because so many, you might see a third of your enrollment, maybe more, come in in the month of August. Sure, sure. So you should already be three weeks into that. And some institutions have already started by the time this article was published. Some are starting the week the article is published, and some are starting next week. So, you know, if you haven't already seen that uptick, you might see some of that shift a little later, but it's not going to shift enough to make up for what you didn't get the last two weeks of July, what you didn't get the first two weeks of August. Sure. It's, it's not going to catch back up to where you were last year this point, or it would be highly unlikely to do that. Um, and, and on top of it, let me just share the way my experience is working with many institutions. If that were to occur, it would incre- it would create such a bottleneck, such um, an overwhelming uh, of the uh, entire operation that not everybody would get enrolled. Yeah, They wouldn't have time. So you, what you will experience, if that were to happen, calls to every department going straight to voicemail. Or voicemail just being turned on saying, hey, we, we can't take your call. We don't have the staff for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so because they, they would not have, A, maybe even have the money um, or the time and resources to go out and hire a bunch of temporary staff, get them trained and ready to support that in a matter of a week's time. That's Some can, but many can't. Um, sure. So, you know, you've got all those things playing in. So if people, if it were somehow to occur where everybody that you needed came in, it would overwhelm the operation and uh, a third of those people that come in, maybe more, wouldn't actually get enrolled. Are, are people 
again, and I am not familiar with with this space like like you are, Mickey. Um, so forgive me if this is a if this is a dumb question. But are folks talking about sort of the are there, are there any models being worked out right now for as traditional kind of four year institutions as they get into school and then they decide to shut down right because of COVID concerns? Um, are community colleges expecting at all or, or predicting to generate sort of uh, uh, in the second uh, halfway through the semester? Are they are they their second session of the semester? Are there any sort of conversations happening around um, we, we expect enrollment and the second half of, of this first semester to uh, to see this huge huge spike because we might for you know partner institutions that that they have relationships with we might see like the Virginia schools for example if the Virginia State schools the four four year institutions decide to close down Northern Virginia Community College if they remain open they could attract people to come take a few classes at Nova that would then transfer back to their their four year institution are there are there conversations and sort of like models being worked out for for that reality i'm not working on them but i'm sure that they are that said uh, again a lot of the models um, that we had going into may and june went out the window and we have to do a lot of this from scratch. And so we don't necessarily have the base to build that model from. However, here are some of the challenges. If I'm a student and I want to enroll in the fall, I missed the opening session and I want to open in what most institutions would call like a second session. Yep. You know, is the availability of classes there? Because a lot of institutions only offer a few um, or a very small subset of what they typically offer. A, B, um, can I afford to take at least two courses in that accelerated time time passion. Now, yeah. anyone that works in an accelerated educational environment understands, yes, that's possible, um, but not always necessarily with so- certain um, students as they come in. you got to look at their academic preparedness. you got to look at their work schedule. All of those things pa- factor into it because this is where it comes into play. If I can't take at least two courses, I don't qualify for any type of financial aid. Sure, sure, sure. And community college students, more than four-year institution students, will need that aid to support their enrollment. Uh, and that's where the, that's why you don't see as many students really jumping in the fall. There, there's interest, but then they generally have to wait to spring so that they can be eligible for aid. So that really starts to play. So if, if there's modeling going on, what needs to occur with it is, you know, not just modeling enrollment, modeling course needs and course offerings yeah so that we can get the students what they need in that time period to help them be eligible for the aid that they will need to pay the tuition yeah no that that makes a lot of sense and sounds like a uh fantastic headache um that i'm glad that that i don't have to that i don't have to worry about but uh power to to those of you who are listening um, who do have to worry about these things um, and lots of encouragement coming your way. This is actually a, a good sort of segue into my next question for you, Mickey, which is really about uh, the professional skill sets that you think will be needed among enrollment management teams that maybe you know weren't previously needed or they weren't as necessary in like a pre-COVID world as folks think about their enrollment management teams, as they think about hiring new people, as they sort of evaluate the the state of their their current team. If you're a director or you're a VP, um, how do you think, what are the sort of the roles and responsibilities that you think are going to kind of come into check a little bit and, and be evaluated in a mostly uh, virtual recruiting world? Like, are there specific skill sets that you think um, folks that 
that are that are, that are going to be needed in like a stronger way this fall uh, as compared to previous falls or when you think about sort of the needs that enrollment management teams are going to have from a personnel standpoint and from a skill set standpoint uh, what comes to mind and, and what should folks be thinking about as they as they make hiring decisions this fall well you know we've been talking about this um, here and there um, this summer Zach and you know, at first we were talking a little about, you know, how, what happens with your high school events, you know, with, that'll be virtual or not happening at all to help you generate a lot of that interest. But, you know, from a hiring standpoint, from a training standpoint, we, your best recruiters aren't necessarily going to still be your best recruiters this yeah. year. Yeah. What makes certain people successful in their ability to engage someone? If it's, if they do that really well face-to-face, guaranteed success in a remote virtual environment is not there. That doesn't mean that they're prepared for that. They may need training. They, they may be moderate or mediocre at best in their performance virtually uh, because it comes down to their natural comfort uh, style. And if they haven't practiced, if they haven't worked on it, if they haven't been given any type of training, you can't be guaranteed that they will still be able to engage. So, you know, and if I'm hiring, you know, even if, if I do have people present in the office and I may be hiring or in, uh, looking to interview someone that's local to me, I, I would at least, you know, have them uh, demonstrate to you virtually how they can engage um, and how they might perform in a virtual world. Yeah. If I'm training people, I'm training them on virtual conversations, you know, how to have the same conversation virtually and demonstrating to my team, it's not just replicating what you do face to face. Yeah. The outcome needs to be different. And if we change the outcome, the approach and what we have in that conversation to get to the outcome must also be different. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense and is is really uh, is really interesting. And, you know, one of the things that I'm even thinking about is, um, you know, there, there really is a difference between uh, how you people that communicate really, really well virtually versus, you know, people that uh, communicate really well when they've got like an audience of 25 to 35 people, they can get up uh, their uh, program coordinator or even like a, a director and they can get up and they know their talking points and they can deliver a good kind of 20 to 30 minute sort of like overview of the value prop of the school, et cetera, and take a couple questions and then, and then call it a day. And those people aren't necessarily going to be fantastic um, at having lots and lots and lots and lots of one-on-one -on -one virtual video calls, let alone answering uh, questions and, and concerns, not just via email, but via text and, and via chat. And it's almost like um, we might see sort of the, as, as you were saying at the, at the offset here, we might see some new people sort of kind of rise to the top in terms of being your top recruiters simply because they know how to text really, really well. They know how to zoom really, really well, um, and that alone, in in a you know, in a reality where um, that is that is the new kind of one-on-one -on -one conversation, that's going to stand out. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if if I'm a great recruiter in last year's world, you know, I'm usually really good at a face-to-face -face environment, and I'm pretty good at the other environments as a supplemental. Um, communication effort. So I can be decent at email and texting and well, we weren't doing virtual conversations 90% of the time last year, right? Uh, or two years ago, maybe. Yeah. Um, and, but I was good in all the other face-to-face -face things and that helped me build the relationship, right? That's out the window. 
your, your primary mode of connecting and engaging has to be those other tools now. It has to be Zoom. It has to be phone and it has to be text and it has to be email. Face-to-face is the supplemental piece because we will get much less opportunity to create that, especially as we think about when the virtual comes into play. Yeah. Before, yeah. if I generated a lot of my interest when a student walked on campus because they were initially a lead we bought from College Board or somewhere else, and we sent them some emails and we got them wanted to be on campus, our first opportunity to really engage would be when they come to campus. Or if I'm out at a high school recruiting, it might be my first way to initially engage and get that face-to-face piece. Not happening. We don't get that face-to-face. You might get some people to campus. You're still going to do it. I've seen um, some friends and colleagues posting even on LinkedIn this week about how they're having their safe tours, and that, which is great. But we have to expect, I believe, at least in this important recruitment phase, pre-application for fall 2021, fewer people are going to be making campus visits. Yep. yep. So we need that engagement you know, where we get that, you know, oh, I'll use a fishing analogy. We we're talking about fishing where we get the <laughs> hook out there and, and we want to set that hook. Well, in that, you know, world that now setting that hook might be a virtual piece, not a face to face piece. Yeah. And if you, you know, you have to train people on how to do that. And it, you know, there, there are many sales people in this world that have been reaching out to me in the past weeks, you know, Hey, what's, you know, people that try to, to sell work in the higher ed space, whether it's technology or consulting or whatever else, you know, what's happening, you know, how are you guys doing it? it it's changed for them too. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, it's it's to an extent, a different sales cycle, a different enrollment cycle. And if you don't look at it that way and just say, hey, it's exactly what it was, we're just doing it virtually. Wrong. You're, yeah. You are much more likely not to have the enrollment you want next fall than those who think of it differently and say it is a different enrollment cycle. We need to rethink it and rebuild around that new model. Yeah. What will be really interesting to see, and I think that this will align, you know, this aligns well with the work that you do, Mickey, is, I, you know, folks who, admissions counselors, program coordinators, maybe even directors, right, who like are, who use the CRM, but maybe they use their, their CRM for like two primary functions, like to send emails and maybe to, you know, record notes on, on like a phone call that they have with a prospect. Um, and then that's pretty much it. And they know how roughly how to use little bits and pieces of the other tools, but like they're not, you know, taking full advantage of the power of the CRM. In this reality, right, where you can't just, if you have this territory you go to and you're used to going to these high schools and these fairs and you're used to coming back with a, you know, uh, a list of 250, like, you know, sales qualified leads to, to use some sales jargon there, right? Folks who are very interested, um, they've raised their hand and they they uh, at least want a little bit more information. And in a reality where, where that doesn't happen, what you're going to be forced to do is you're going to have to become, you know, really, really savvy in how to analyze the data that your CRM is capturing so that you understand kind of what you were saying even a few weeks ago in real time, right? today who are the most important people based on and you know based off of their digital behavior that I need to be talking to as as a counselor like today who do I need to be reaching out with today out, out to today because you're not going to get those 250 you know handshakes and and you know uh, uh, names that you got on the road you're gonna it's really I think gonna force people to really get to learn their CRM and, and really just their, their institution's tech stack to make uh, better decisions on how to spend their time from a conversation standpoint, from, from a texting standpoint, each and every day. So you're peeling back another layer of the onion here. We're getting a little deeper. 
Um, and yes, yes, yes. So uh, I'll expand upon that from my experience, right? Please. One of the issues I, I generally have with, with, with clients or one of the issues they have, not I have, but they typically have, we've got advice, um, counselors out on the road all fall. We're going from event to event to event. At the end of the day, they got to pack up. They got to go to the next town. And by the time you get there, they're exhausted. They don't necessarily get all their leads into the CRM. Why didn't they get them in while they're at the fair? Because they were in a gym with no internet access, right? And they get all this paper, um, filled cards filled out and they got to put those in or somehow they got to get them to somebody else, scan them, pick, take pics and send them back to the office. That can be a two or three day turnaround time in a virtual world. That's not necessarily the case. There are great advantages if you have your CRM set up properly that will help um, improve performance. And it doesn't even necessarily depend upon your counselors improving their performance in connection to the CRM. It helps, but it doesn't necessarily require it. So if I'm doing virtual uh, meetings, you know, if I have Zoom and I have it integrated, if Salesforce or some managed package on Salesforce is my primary CRM, you can have a Zoom integration set up where all that gets logged right away. It can help create a new record. It can log that activity right away in the record. I don't need someone in them manually to go and do that if it's set up the right way. Same thing with Slate. Slate has what their video component to, um, you know, which is already a part of the tool. It's not a third party. It doesn't have to be integrated. It's already there. So there are things that um, that, that can actually happen in your CRM without needing people now to actually go in and manually do it. And then the second thing is I don't have to worry about packing up at five o'clock or eight o'clock at night, whenever that fair ends and going to the next town. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, right. So therefore I have, I don't have that travel. I have more time to get in. If I need to somehow manually put people in, I have time to do that. And hopefully that'll speed up that process to get it in. Because once you have the conversation, you want to continue that conversation with them as an institution, at least right away. We don't want three, four day delays before we get that information in there. We want it right away. So we can do that. And then the next piece again is if we get it in right away, do we have our communication set up to allow us to do that so that someone is new to the CRM, they've been in there, they came in through a virtual event yesterday. This is the communication starts today, right? Yeah, Yeah. So if I have those things set up, you are beginning to fine tune the way you're engaging your prospects and from there, you're increasing the likelihood that they stay engaged. That makes a ton of sense. And, you know, one of the things that's popping into my mind as, as you're saying all of this is, you know, I, I wonder, I'm just curious how this will change sort of the uh, the recruitment landscape and specifically the geography and, and the regions that schools recruit from, right? Like in a virtual world where you're not able to, let's just say for most people, you're not able to travel like you did last fall at the very least, maybe not travel at all. Does this actually, and, and most pr- prospective uh, students, right, are going to engage with different colleges and universities, regardless of where they are in the country, in some sort of virtual capacity, right? If not fully a fully virtual uh, capacity, a mostly virtual capacity. So what I'm interested in in sort of seeing, and I don't know if you, you have any insight on this already, Mickey, in terms of uh, the folks that you guys work with, Will, it is, you know, will we see schools start to recruit from other areas and or test sort of like uh, campaigns going after different geographic spaces than they would normally go after simply because, right, they they can test a little bit more, right? It's not that expensive to increase your, you know, your ad reach to target specific, uh, you know, new counties or, or new states or, or new regions. And I wonder if any schools or, or how many schools will get pretty aggressive and, um, uh, you know, experiment with kind of testing 
new pools uh, for prospective students in a, in a world where like they don't have to fly out there, they don't have to, you know, drive out there. And in a world in which their competition, right, most people are going to be engaging with their competition in a similar format. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, after this year, from an attribution standpoint, right? Like, where do people come from? Where were, you know, were there new territories, uh, new states that sort of came on the map from a re recruitment standpoint that um, had never been targeted before or had only been targeted loosely before? And how will that sort of change the way in which schools think about recruiting in the future? Uh, good point. Uh, I, would, I would guess that a few will do that um, and, and build a strategy on that. Most want a few that. <laughs> more. Yep. Yes. Correct. A few more will begin to do it after it's too late because they're seeing their inquiry pool go down and they need to find some other way. Um, they don't have, they don't have inquiries where they need to have them in October. And so we had to figure something else. And that's at the time when students are starting to think about applying. So you lose out, you know, you might gain some inquiries from that, but the amount you would have gained if you started a month ago would be significantly more. Um, because um, those students already made, started narrowing down their list. Sure. And once they start narrowing down the list, getting them to add you to that narrowed list is a much more difficult thing to do. Sure. So. No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it, that comes into play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. It'll just be like, I hope that folks, um, especially folks that are sort of like, they were in a crisis pre-COVID, right? They, uh, their institution, their the programs that they recruit for, whatever it might be, um, are a little rocky. Uh, we're, we're a little rocky and, and are rockier right now. You know, it, it's sort of like a, a, you know, a little bit like a Hail Mary pass. And like, why not? Why not try and be really, really bold if if you might have to close down anyways in in 12 months from now, or if you might no longer if your institution might no longer offer this program, if you're you're a grad school and the program has been hurting for years and you know, it was they thought about closing it before it's got one more year, like, I feel like now's the time to be really, really bold in terms of how you think about your recruitment strategies. And I think like marketing plays, you know, uh, a significant role here as well. And my hope is that especially for folks who sort of have like nothing to lose, like, why not like go all out this fall? Again, I know budgets are tight and, and resources are limited, but in terms of, and it's not necessarily even about spending more money, but in terms of strategy, thinking really different and really creatively for, you know what? We've never tried, we, we got these like three students from this one state randomly last year. We had, you know, historically never really got people from this state, but those three students, like they have excelled at, you know, in this program or they've excelled in this space. Like, what does it look like to, you know, maybe we should do a campaign, you know, that geo targets people in this space. So again, I know that by and large folks know their numbers, they know where they recruit from, they know sort of like the lane that they operate in. But I do think it would be really interesting. And my encouragement to folks is, if you have a little bit of freedom, right, or if you're feeling like it's it's sort of like the go all in, um, or, or, or die sort of a situation, why not be really, really bold in your recruitment strategies? Why not test out new campaigns? Why not test out new markets? Um, because, in, you know, in reality, like if you're if you're headed that way, anyways, you, you've got nothing to lose. So I don't want to be like, you know, grim here or anything. But I do think like I'm going to be looking for the schools that are doing really, really new things because everyone's hurting, everyone's struggling, everyone feels strapped for resources. And there are going to be people that rise to the top. There are going to be people that that really stand out this fall. And I'm just hopeful that some of the 
uh, littler guys uh, out there are are some of those people that get really creative and, and that stand out? Well, the opportunity is there. I, I would add one additional component to what you said. Please. Um, and, and I'll pause there. But, you know, when you're doing it, if you're going to go and be bold about it, be comfortable, be confident as you're doing it. Don't do it in a panic state. Because uh, in a panic yeah. state, you get hyper-focused sometimes and you miss seeing the forest for the trees. And you just get so into it, you get too far gone before you realize, hey, I took a, steps A, B, and C, and instead of going to D, I should have gone to I don't know, Q, right? And don't miss that. And don't do it out of a panic fear piece. You have to be comfortable and confident with it because if you go in fearful, you know, not only may you get hyper-focused, but you may also hesitate, take too long to make some of the decisions when it's time to make them. Um, you uh, might back off of your decision and commitment. If you're going to do it, be comfortable, be confident, and put your best possible plan in place for the moment. Be prepared to pivot if you need to pivot. Um you know, but that's that's part of it, and and I, you know, I I see it sometimes. Um, you know, with folks when they get so far along the way, they pause and they have these panic moments. It is hard to change and sustain that change that way if you're not comfortable with that. So that's you know, just keep that in mind. You know, have someone there that knows what you're doing and there that is can help nudge you, put that support mechanism in place when you have that panic and fear moment. I love that. I love that. No, you know, being confident is is incredibly important. And I think that that is a fantastic way to to end this week's episode. Mickey, thank you for your time. Thank you for your your advice, as always. And folks, you know, if you have any feedback for us, please feel free to reach out. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Thank you, Zach. Thank you all. And good luck for a strong fall. <laughs>